Wow, we finally made it to 2021. And as we're here together today, January 3rd, uh, I want to draw our attention to three really powerful verses taken out of 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. So I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn to that passage right now. You can use the QR code. That biblical passage is printed there for you, and you can find it there on your phone, or uh, just go old school and open up your Bible to 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. In these verses today, we are looking at the biblical motive for social justice. This is our last episode in this sermon series called King and Kingdom, and we've been looking at this king and kingdom that Jesus, being God's representative here on earth and what Christmas and the Christmas season represents uh, to bring about a a king, a, a new type of king, a king of all nations. And today, as we look at the biblical motive for social justice, I'm going to use kind of a, a, a way that a lot of coaches use. I've had coaches in my life that use this, this uh, style, and perhaps you've had coaches that use this style. Oh, by the way, that doesn't mean I'm going to be doing a lot of yelling. Um, yeah, some of us have had coaches like that. But no, the, the format I'm talking about that really uh, motivational coaches use is they say things like, not this, but this. Like, I don't want you to do it this way, but I want you to do it this way. So they use a lot of not this, but this. And so today, as we look at the biblical motive for social justice, there are three uh, that I'm going to give. There's, by the way, lots more, but I'm going to highlight three from our passage today. And the first one is not partisan Christianity, but the God of the Bible. That's the first motive for social justice. The second one is not words, but action. And the third biblical motive for social justice is not guilt, but grace. So why don't I read this passage for us? And and again, wherever you find yourself, uh, if you're on your couch uh, watching this through your TV screen, uh, through YouTube, or if you're in your car, or if you're in public transportation, if you're going for a walk right now, I don't know where you are, but I invite you to uh, read along with me, and and I'm inviting you to reflect and to think and to process as we go through this together, uh, because it has a lot of implications, not only how God views social justice, but how that will transform us And it is uh, intended by God to transform society. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Why don't we pray right now that God would open our hearts to hear his word 
and to change us, that God would be the one that changes us. And by changing us, God would change others and end up changing society. Let's pray together. Father, we have not loved others in the way that we, that we ought. We have been selfish people. And Father, today as we come to your word, we pray that you would teach us your heart for social justice, that you would lead us into action, uh, not out of guilt, but out of grace, the grace that you've given us. Change us and change society, Lord, we pray. And King Jesus, we know that you, when you return to this earth, you will bring about the social justice that you've always, always desired and intended for humanity, human flourishing, peace for all of humanity. Until that day comes, we pray that you would come and that in the meantime that you would give us your spirit and that you would lead us forward in grace. We pray in your name, King Jesus, amen. Not this, but this. A coach always used to tell me and others on our sports teams growing up, not this, but this. Uh, The very first thing we're learning here about social justice, biblical motive for social justice, is it's not partisan Christianity, but it's the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible has a heart and an intent for social justice. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been asked before, Troy, what kind of Christian are you? Are you a liberal or are you a conservative? And friends have also asked me, do you believe in the Bible or do you believe in social justice and helping others? I don't know if you caught that last question or not, but there's an assumption that I would have to choose either believing in the Bible, or I would have to choose social justice and helping others. And the great news uh, about the God of the Bible is that the Bible teaches evangelism or being evangelical, meaning there is good news, and social justice. You don't have to choose either or. The Bible is not a leftist propaganda program, but it's about a God who loves the oppressed. A God who uh, has an intent for human flourishing and for peace for all of humanity. That that human flourishing and peace would be shared equally among all peoples. Now, this is about the point in a conversation like this that if you're having this conversation with someone that they may begin to push back on this notion of social justice and Christianity being used in the same sentence because they say that Christianity has been weaponized in some white spaces. Um, scripture has been used to justify horrific acts of injustice. Think slavery, think colonization, but the Bible acknowledges the absolute importance of social justice. It is at the top of God's priority, social justice. And so throughout the Bible, God is caring, giving great care for the quartet of uh, those who are vulnerable, meaning the widows, 
the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor. That's the quartet that he's giving great care to, great attention to, and showing uh, his display of love towards. Look at, uh, or think about, I'm going to take us back to other passages in the Old Testament, trying to lay a case here for uh, God being a God for social justice. In the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34 says, You shall treat the foreigner residing among you in the same way you treat the native living among you. You shall love him as you love yourself, for you too were a foreigner. Think about how that influences how we treat the foreigner or the immigrant or the undocumented living among us here in the United States. Our God identifies with those at the bottom. If someone were to ask you how you wanted to be introduced, let's just imagine that you were going to be a speaker somewhere and as the featured speaker, you would have someone that was going to introduce you. And the person introducing you would be kind enough, usually, to ask you how you wanted to be introduced. So imagine that. There you are, and you're having this interview, and they're asking you how you want them to introduce you. What would you say? You would probably instruct them to introduce you by saying some things that meant the most to you or something about you that displayed a a part of your deepest identity, something that you cared most about. Look at Psalm 68, verse 5. How does God introduce himself? Psalm 68, verse 5 says, um, God is a father for the fatherless, a defender of the widows. See, no other God of all the world religions, no other God is that inclusive. No other God loves like this. Jesus, this same God in the New Testament, is hanging out with beggars, with lepers, with prostitutes, with sinners, with people like you and people like me. And in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus gives his inaugural speech, his inaugural address. There in Luke chapter four, verses 20 and 21, Jesus is in the synagogue and he's reading Isaiah 61. That's the same passage. That's the same passage that Alan read for us earlier in our worship gathering today. Isaiah chapter 61, where, where the prophet is saying that You know, I'm going to open up the eyes of the blind. I'm going to bring healing. I'm going to heal the brokenhearted. And so when Jesus stands up in the synagogue to read the scriptures, that's the passage that he reads. And after reading that passage there in Isaiah chapter 61, Jesus says, today's scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, in giving his inaugural speech, the way he wants to be introduced is by saying that he is a God who cares about social justice. So, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, this is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Oh, how, oh, how comprehensive biblical justice really is. Comprehensive, listen to this. Social justice in the Bible is that there's equal treatment for everyone. This is great news. In Leviticus chapter 24, verse 22, it says, you shall have the same rules for the foreigner that you have for the native. Wow, there are huge implications for us today. And that means don't treat people of a different race differently. You were once the wrong race in a foreign country. You were once an immigrant. Scripture is telling us there in the Old Testament. And you say around this point, well, that's just the God of the Old Testament. That's not necessarily the God of the New Testament. Well, the New Testament speaks in this same language. Acts chapter 17, verse 26 mentions that all humans are of the same blood. All of humanity, all created in God's image. Therefore, all loved by God and should be all treated equally. Social justice in the Bible has a concern for those without power. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 23 mentions, you, Your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves, They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before me, before them. See, the Bible is not for bribery. The wealthy, they don't need to bribe. See, the poor can't bribe. You see that bribery itself is injustice, and Isaiah is speaking out against it. And that has us ask a question right here. What what influence does, does capitalism have on the decisions that are made on all races? Proverbs chapter 31, verses 8 and 9 says, Open your mouth for those who can't speak up for themselves. Open your mouth to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Here the Bible isn't saying, speak up for the rich. They already have a voice. They're doing just fine speaking up for themselves. But here the Bible is talking about equal treatment. Equal treatment, especially those who don't have resources and power. God is identifying with the poor. And the powerless, not the rich. See, in all other cultures, the gods were always connected with the people at the top. You wanted to be at the top. You wanted to crawl your way up there because those were the people that God ended up helping. 2 Kings chapter 5. I was reading through this passage earlier this week where uh, there's someone named Naaman Naaman and Naaman heard about the God of Israel who could heal. And so in hearing about this God who could heal, he brings his money and he says, give me my miracle, (laughs) expecting that this God of the Bible would identify with him because he was at the top, at the societal top. 
sort of God owed him a miracle because he was bringing all of his money, all of his power. And in this text in 2 Kings 5, the king of Israel tore his clothes, tore his clothes saying, our our God isn't that way. Our God uh, has equal treatment for everyone and there's concern for those, special concern for those without power. Social justice in the Bible involves a radical generosity. We all know that the world's goods are not distributed equally. I don't, it's not my role right now to try to prove that. I think we all know that. Some kids right now are growing up in neighborhoods where they'll hardly be able to read and write. And that will drastically affect their ability and opportunities for economic wealth for themselves in the future. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor person insults that person's maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. See, we insult God when we're not generous to the person who's poor. And if we're not being generous, and we don't just mean with our money, some of us genuinely don't have extra money. And so to be generous doesn't just mean with your money, it means with your time. It means with your goods, your possessions, your power, your position, your education, your experience. And if you're not being generous in those areas, you're not only being stingy, but you're being unjust. That's because the God of the Bible cares deeply about those things. And if you're a Christian, you you, you live with radical generosity or you aspire to live with radical generosity because you realize that everything that you have is a generous gift from God. And you may argue and say, well, I worked really hard for it and I'm working right now really hard for it. And others out there, they're just making dumb decisions and they're not working as hard as I am. And if you truly understand the gospel, you truly understand the generosity of God given to you, you'll never ever view people in that way. Because you'll realize that everything that you have isn't because of just your hard work or just your good decisions but it's because of God who's been generous with you. Some people right now who are rejecting Christianity didn't know that Christianity had this strong of a view, this robust of a view towards social justice. And that the God of the Bible views social justice in this way, which should cause many who are doubting Christianity Uh, to reconsider the claims of Jesus and reconsider Christianity. The second biblical motive for social justice is not words, not just mere words, but actions. Justice and faith are inseparable. You can't just say you have faith, but there's no actions towards social justice in your life. The New Testament there in James chapter 2 verse 17 says faith by itself is dead. The Bible doesn't say, hey, let's think about justice. 
hey, let, you know what, gather everyone and let's have a really good uh, discussion about justice. Let's have a book study about justice. No, it says do justice. You've received mercy and justice. Now go and do justice. Isaiah chapter 1. Boy, these prophets, if you, if you really want to see the God of the Bible, go back and read some of these prophets and, and just how God is representing himself and what he thinks about social justice as he speaks through these prophets. Isaiah chapter 1 says, Even when you offer many prayers... I'm not listening. Seek justice. Rather, defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Onward in chapter 58 of Isaiah. He says, They seek me out and ask me for just decisions. Yet, on the day of your fasting, you exploit all of your workers and you neglect the oppressed, the hungry, and the poor. Do do you hear what he's saying there in Isaiah chapter 58? That you're very religious. You have all these worship gatherings and services and fasting and praying and, 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 and yet you exploit your workers. Yet you forget about the poor. See, this is, a, this is a, an incredible message, not only relevant for those in Isaiah's day, but in our day, that if you don't care about the poor, you can say you have a relationship with God, you can even say you have a close relationship with God, but you don't. You don't. Look, look again in our passage, our main passage that we started out with today, 1 John chapter. 3, verses 17 and 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? See, Jesus broke social norms in achieving social justice. James, back to James, James chapter 5, verse 4 says, Look. The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. What applications are there for us when we think about not just words, but actions? What actions are there? You may say, oh no, does this mean I I can't have my uh, weekly boba? Or I can't have my daily boba or coffee. Should I just make that coffee from home? Should I be giving out cash on the street? And for some of us, we think, how do I take action without money? How can I help people and give voice for people who don't have a voice? Now, let me recommend four actions for us at this point Number one is use the resources that you have. Use the resources that you have. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, our main text says, material possessions. God has blessed each of us with different material possessions. For some of us, that's money. For some of us, it's not money, but it's time. See, wealth can mean more than money, and the action for us is to use the resource and resources that God has given you. 
Go out into those places with those resources and opportunities that God has uniquely given you. That's a great starting point. Use your time. Know the resources available that are in your city and in your neighborhood to be able to point people in the direction who need help. Don't just give them a Bible verse saying that God loves them. That's wonderful that God does love them. And you can give them that verse that tells them that God loves them, but also know the resources that are available to them and for them that have been set up in their city and in their neighborhood. Hopefully, those have been set up. Point them in that direction. Number two is build relationships. Build relationships to establish trust. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, again, our key text says, when you see your brother or sister in need... See, you you and I are called to put ourselves in uncomfortable positions because it is uncomfortable when we see others around us who have needs. And when we place ourselves and we see those people and we place ourselves in those uh, areas and in those situations, we're, we're to listen. We're to listen to those people. Give those people an opportunity to speak. Hear their story. Enter into their pain. The third action for us is to open your heart. Open your heart. Yeah, for for example, right now, you could be listening to some of this and, and, and just have such a closed heart. You could have such arrogance and such pride towards all of this, forgetting all the while that the God of the Bible in God's very heart is mercy and compassion. Open your heart. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says in the English Standard Version, I'm going to read it in a different version than I read it in earlier. It says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, Do you hear that? Yeah, it's possible. It's possible to have the world's goods. It's possible to have your needs met and close your heart to others. So to open your heart simply means to take inventory of how you view others around you. Take inventory and and see if you're feeling superior to others around you. And if you are, ask God the question, why? Why do I feel superior to others around me? And Lord, please, please open my heart towards the needs of others. The fourth action is make sure all people are represented. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 says, love with actions and in truth. Now, a good example of making sure that there's representation that all people are represented. Uh, I came across a Washington Post article that I read uh, sometime last year. Uh, And there's a gentleman named Malone Mukwende. And Mukwende is a 20-year-old medical student. He's from Zimbabwe, and he's now studying in London. 
and he found himself repeatedly asking the same question. What will skin disease look like on people of color? And the reason why he's, he kept asking this question repeatedly is because in his uh, medical school training, uh, he, he kept noticing a lack of teaching about uh, darker skin tones and how certain symptoms appear differently in those who aren't white. Uh, and, and so he's writing a book about this. He's publishing a book about this. He, he says whether a rash, a bruise, blue lips, or other common physical reactions, it was clear to me that certain symptoms would not present the same way on my own skin. See, he's making sure that all peoples are represented. That's what social justice is doing. That's the actions of social justice. It's you looking at where you have influence and, and, and asking yourself, who's not represented here? Who's not around the table in this discussion or on this board or in this organization or on staff? The third and final biblical motive for social justice that we're looking at today is not guilt, but grace. Not guilt, but grace. Yeah, this is about the point that you could be listening to all of this and be thinking that the Bible wants you to feel guilt. Isn't that what some of, isn't that what some of you think anyway? Is that these Bible verses uh, have been written to just make you feel guilty? Or isn't that what some of you think about pastors and teachers of the Bible? Uh, that, that we get paid to make you feel guilty? No, no, no. Not motivation of guilt, but the true motivation that will last so much longer and is so much more sustainable than guilt is a motivation of grace. Look again at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Here, Jesus is the epitome. Jesus is the epitome of social justice. First uh, John chapter 3, verse 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Many people in our day wondering, what is love? How, how do I find love? Where is love? How can I know if it's true love? This verse tells us, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. The epitome of social justice is Jesus Jesus was poor. Jesus was poor. The Son of God did not come into this world as an aristocrat, but he was born in a feeding trough, a manger, as we looked at last few weeks as we've been celebrating Christmas together. And that the parents of Jesus gave two pigeons as an offering when Jesus was circumcised. Now, this was an offering that poor people gave. That's because the God of the Bible, he's identifying with the poor. The Bible also talks about Jesus, how he was poor, that he, he wandered about. He was constantly on the go and had nowhere to lay his head. And that when Jesus died, he, he, he didn't have possessions he, he, did, he didn't die a man who was wealthy, full of possessions. 
It also, the Bible also mentions that Christ was oppressed. Think, think of the trial of Jesus. Think of the cross of Jesus, how oppressed he was. It, see, Jesus knew what it was like to, to, to stand up to power and to be killed because of the injustice. Now again, it's about this time that you think, wow, I, I see all of that as an example, and, and, and wow, what an example. And so I, I'm, I, I, here's a brave person, Jesus, he did it. He, he, st- he stood up to power. And, and I feel so guilty that I should do the same thing. No, it's not about feeling guilt. Rather, it's grace is the motivation. Rather, it's Jesus saved us. Jesus became poor so that in his poverty, we might become rich. It's it's Jesus in in all of his righteousness. He, he, He obeyed all of the commandments and became poor in spirit so that we could receive his righteousness. Rather, Jesus saved us, being willing to be poor and oppressed. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. He experienced what he didn't deserve. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the motivation of grace. And if you grasp this message of the gospel by faith, you're changed forever. And the way you view others will change forever. That when you see a poor person, when you see the vulnerable, when you see the immigrant, when you see the oppressed, you'll never see them the same way. Because you're looking, when you see that person, you're looking into a mirror. We are those people. We were spiritually bankrupt And only by the infinitely costly grace of Christ are we saved. This transforms us, not guilt, but grace. Let's pray right now as we ask God to change us and transform us and bring about a change in our society because of his heart for social justice. Let's pray right now. And we're going to pray aloud together using the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It's taken from uh, Matthew chapter 6, and it's known as the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray aloud together from the heart, wherever you find yourself. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.